Welcome to episode two of this podcast with me, Ross Manson, interviewing Grant Downey. If you've not heard episode one, I would recommend going back and listening to it to see how Grant's got to this stage. We pick up where we left off. Walter Smith's just left, Rangers and Dick Advocate's just arriving. What will this mean for Grant? Let's find out. Next season, Walter's away, yeah. Advocate's coming yeah. in. Yeah. As a, as a member of the backroom staff, where does that put you? You hear all the time that players go get a bit jittery when they hear there's a new yeah. coach coming in. Are you well, the same? It's a new job. And I think you've got to realise that. You might be working for the same club, but a new manager will have his own way. So you're always got a certain amount of nervous anticipation, particularly like myself, who had formed a really good relationship with um, with Walter. And I, you know, I felt as if I was one of his trusted people. And so... You know, my opinion was valued at the time. You've got to start again, but mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing. You know, because I do think in life, it's important we reevaluate what we do and how we do it. So that gave me the opportunity to do that under under Dick. Yeah. Um, and before, like we talked about with Gaza and Loudrop and Bolly and all the rest of it, big massive names. Mm. But in my opinion, the names that were coming in that season were astronomical do you know it was huge mm-hmm. it was stuff of legends I remember watching the World Cup that year and seeing Arthur mm-hmm. Newman and going he's playing at Ibrox next year I cannot believe this this is amazing what's it like for you getting a whole new set of players I think again it was completely different because it was a almost a Dutch revolution to a point with a lot of as you say the Andre Konchelskis the Stefan Klosses uh, a lot of new players but I can't I honestly say there was a bad one among them they were professional. They wanted to take it to a different level. Uh, they were good to the staff, you know. And again, it was it was a completely different type of time to Walter's time, but equally enjoyable for different reasons. Yeah. And um, the famous Daniel Prodan mm-hmm. was was signed. Mm-hmm. Never played. Mm-hmm. Was that what what went on there? Was there? It a was a si- it, it was a situation that the chairman was very keen to sign a player on transfer deadline day. And, and and Daniel obviously had, had had an injury, hadn't played in the World Cup, and there was warning signs there. But the club, and people think a medical is a pass or a fail, it's a risk assessment. And this was a high-risk signing, but people wanted to take that risk. It's not my money, you know, so therefore, you know, he was signed and didn't play. So it, it's one of those things that didn't work out. Yeah. But it wasn't any fault of anyone's or anyone's mistake, and it was the it was a calculated gamble that the chairman was prepared to take. Right, and it was his money. So, well, <laughs> um, and what what's involved in a medical year? A bit medical. Lots of different things. What you do is you first of all screen players for the major problems these days of cardiac problems, uh, uh, concussion. But you also do a, a musculoskeletal profiling, which you try and look against and you mitigate against risk, is there a likelihood that a player during the length of time of a contract may pick up another injury? If it is, what's the significance? Will it be time loss? Will it be detrimental to his career? And that might influence A, the transfer fee, B, the length of contract, C, is it pay as you play? So it's almost like a a sort of a working employment contract to see how they fit to work. Right, okay. The dressing room full of different players, was there a a different feel to the dressing room? Yeah, it's a different culture. And it was a togetherness in a different way. These were players who'd come from a different schooling of football. And so, you know, they were, they were, they were probably wanting Mr. Abdakat to take them on a journey. But he was, 
a facilitator. So the Dutch naturally talk much more about it. They're they're engaging. They want to facilitate football. Uh, they were a fun group of people to work with. Very professional. Uh, and you know, again, I, I I still keep in touch with you know one or two of them now, which tells you something yeah. about what I felt of them. And they, you know, and I have been across to Holland to meet some of them. You know, people like Stefan Kloss every New Year. Him and I exchange a text just to see how each each ones are. People like Leren and Marufo the same. Yeah. You know, so they were they were strong characters. They were strong characters from the likes of Colin Henry side too. You know, and so there was a, a, a very strong dressing room, but it was it was a good dressing room. And do you go on with the players if you don't treat them as as well as if you do treat them? Yes, you do. You, 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 again, there's players in a dressing room who you wouldn't be friendly with. They're just different type of people. There's players who naturally you would be friendly with. So you've got to be very careful. The ones who you who you wouldn't be friends with, you treat them the same as you would be friendly with. Because yeah. it's, it's easy in a company to get on with other people better than others. So you try and keep a level, and 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 I think it's very important that they see you're consistent. If you're, for me, every player is important. You know, the superstars, you know, are are the ones who help the team. You may seem more important, but they're not really. They're just people. Yeah. They may need some time, but so does you know. One of I can also remember in his early part of his career when he was as Alan McGregor at Rangers when he was 17, had a nasty injury to his wrist and it required him to be out for nearly, nearly two years. He missed football, with us, nearly had to retire. And I can remember, for me, I felt as if I had to spend a lot of time with Alan uh, just to try and make sure his wrist didn't seize up because a goalkeeper's wrist seize up, he ain't going to be a very good goalkeeper. And I remember saying to Alan, I want you to come in at 8.30 every morning so I can stretch it. I used to do it before I go home. And I felt it was important. And I can also remember about three years after I'd left uh, Rangers and gone to Middlesbrough. I got a, a little parcel through the post. Didn't know what it was. And opened it. And Alan McGregor sent me his first Champions League jersey, and he had a little message on it. And again, those are the things why you do your job. And and what I'm trying to say is, Alan McGregor at the time was a, was in football terms a nobody. Yeah. But to me, it was important because his career was on the line. Yeah. And I remember treating him and a guy called Stevie McLean, who I think may may have just finished playing for St Johnson. Right. Because uh, he'd torn his cruciate ligament, and these were important people to me because. They had significant injuries, so spending time with them as well as with Giovanni Van Bronckhurst or Arthur Newman was important to me. Yeah, yeah. And you were saying earlier that you thought that there was a rumour that there was a drinking culture around Rangers, but it was quite professional. Did yeah. it step up a level when the advocate came in? I think there was a. I think football was evolving at that time to the fact that people realised, you know, drinking and being a professional athlete's probably not. A great thing right. and I think there was a lot less but they still partied when we won things so don't get me wrong there was these people knew how to drink alcohol when we'd won something yeah. and, but less maybe during the season right, okay. but they still partied and we partied every bit as much the parties were as loud and vociferous <laughs> <Still> as <good. laughs> I'd like to say I can remember them <laughs> thankfully I can um, and the, the thing that I always wonder is with all these different nationalities coming into the dressing room do they all they can't all speak English no so is there translators in the dressing room? Do you... Uh, you know, you could have translators. The problem, and modern clubs do, the problem of that is it encourages players not to learn a language. You know, Dick was very good at basically his instructions. 99 times out of 100 were obviously in English. Mm-hmm. If he was probably speaking to a Dutch player, it probably wouldn't have been, but I get that. Yeah. But Dick was in, wanted to speak Dutch in front of all the players, 
not to arouse any suspicion of what he was talking about to different players. And yeah. so most of them spoke enough English and those who didn't you know, were, were given English lessons to help. Right, okay. But again, if I was to train again as a physio in football, which I'm not doing now, I think I would learn to speak Spanish because I think it's a nice to be able to converse in their language. Yeah, yeah. I was working, uh, we were doing the food for the broadcasters for the European mm. Championship and it was a Spanish team mm. that were working there. My mate mm. who owns the food truck speaks fluent mm. Spanish. It makes, it makes me so jealous. Yeah, yeah. We got on so well with them and they were bringing in like Spanish meats and mm. we were taking tablet to mm. them and you know it was just yeah. great and then we moved on and it was a French crew mm. that we were working mm. with and they, neither of us can speak any French, I think I've got about eight words and, and we didn't really get on mm. just quite as well so I just wondered how it affected dressing rooms if it... No, you try and get players to have a common language and football is a common language in itself mm -hmm. but the more that people can speak one language the better. The better. Under Advocat was the first time that you'd won the treble. Yeah. How big an achievement is that to win the treble? Is it I, must be very hard. I think it's like anything to win every competition is always much more difficult. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's a, I had the double with Walter, but our main always arranges we really just focusing on winning nine championships in a row, so it didn't seem to be a big thing. And I think winning the treble when you look back it was a phenomenal achievement but we, we were gathering a phenomenal group of players if the truth be known too so yeah. it was wrong to say it's expected because you don't expect it but you knew it was achievable because of the quality you had and great quality yeah so i was looking obviously at the, some of the players that had come in and the the one big player that wasn't there mm. or was at rangers before but then took a massive role when advocate came in was barry ferguson mm -hmm. do you think that he owes Dick Advocate a debt of gratitude or do you think it would have come anyway and if so does he do you know does does he think that as well do you know you'd have to ask Barry that question I think he'd it's not a debt of gratitude but the Dick if I remember rightfully Barry made his debut under Walter the yeah, last game of the season right. against Hearts in the nine in a row season but Barry for me was a probably one of the best young Scottish players I'd ever seen uh, and in fact He's had a fantastically successful season, but could have even been better, in my opinion. Right. I think it was phenomenal. Uh, and I think Dick was great with him, the way he played him, the way he nurtured him, the way he almost mentored him with Arthur Newman sharing a room together and Arthur being the meticulous professional, doing things properly, would make sure Barry, who, like any teenager, at times could be a little bit wanting to do their own thing, but I'd have been the same, you'd have been the same. So it wasn't Barry being bad, it was just a teenager being a teenager. Yeah. But I think Dick was very, very good for Barry. Uh, and by the way, Barry re returned him by playing very well. And as I said, yeah, of his generation, biased as I am, the best Scottish young player. Yeah. And do you think that he would have he would have done so well under a different manager? Do you think Advocate had a huge influence? I think he did, because I think, I think Barry needed at that time... Barry was the best young player, but... When he then came into the senior dressing room, he suddenly became just a young player in a big dressing room. So I think Dick was very good for him and he coached him, nurtured him. So I think Dick had a big influence on Barry. I think he would have been successful whoever he played for because he was that good. But the degree of success would have been less. Well, Dick was very influential. Yeah, yeah. And was he good with all the players in terms of, yeah, he of knowing what to say? And Listen, he was a phenomenal coach, Dick. He, you know, everyone said he was a general and so he would bark and he was strict. You know, he had, he had a good culture for, for discipline. He made a physio's life pretty easy because the players were told, you don't, you know, you don't come in at the right times, you'll get fined. Right. 
Yeah. As simple as that. So he, you know, they knew where they stood with him. Uh, he was soft underneath it in a nice way. You could approach him and talk to him. And he was a very, as I said, yeah, I experienced it personally, you know, and I, I'll never forget how he's been to me as a man. And so I've got, you know, I often equate it to, I'm in Kilmarnock now. And if you told me Dick Advocat was appearing, you know, down in town, the town centre tonight, we're going to go and see him. I'd walk to go and see him. Yeah, right, There's certain okay. players that just say, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Right, okay. And I wouldn't go and see them. Yeah. He had walked to go and see him. Right. Mm. Cool. Um, so how did things change under McLeish then? I think things changed for me because at that time I think I'd got probably a little bit of an, a sort of what's the right word, stature at Rangers because I'd been there for a number of years. I'd previously worked at Lillyshaw. And I'd worked under two managers who wanted my opinion where I probably approached Alex wrongly was I'd give him that opinion, but I should have waited for him to ask. Right. And so as a result of it, I think I probably looked a little bit of an old guard since I picked up fairly quickly. I was not going to be one of his favourite people. Not that he didn't like me as a person, I didn't dislike him at all, but actually we saw things differently. He wanted a medical person, probably he could manipulate a bit better, which wouldn't be me. So I knew this and I'd already started looking for a job before he decided to move me on. And that's part of football. And, you know, a lot of folk have said to me in the past, or even now, you know, you must hold a grudge. I don't hold a grudge against him. It's the best thing he ever did to me. Yeah. He's, he helped me springboard my career into areas that have been totally successful. So I've got a lot to thank Alex for. <laughs> you know, so moving me on can be the best thing in life. And, you know, I've met Alex since and, you know, and, and hold not one grudge at all about him. In fact, I want to give him a hug. <laughs> you know but you know it was good for me and it was good for him and I can understand why he wanted his own person no. so you know that's part of life and you know one of my life's lessons is don't take yourself that seriously you're not that important none of us are indispensable yeah. and I take it that football's much more cutthroat than certain other things you know if people absolutely it is it's a cutthroat life and you know you sometimes get paid slightly more money like I'd have been paid more money working at Rangers uh, Middlesbrough and Manchester City than a physio in a hospital but they're not likely to get the sack I am Aye. you know so uh, you know and, and you work longer hours too and you don't have more responsibility you have a different type of responsibility but you know you have to take that with it so you know it was time for me to move on and turn the next chapter Aye. so the, the end of that first season or first half season that McLeish was there the likes of Van Bronckhorst mm. Alberts and Rayner yeah. all moved on yeah. what's it like when a player moves on do, do you miss them? Do you kind of think, oh, I wish they were staying? Or, or do you just say, well, that's, that's the I, way it works? Listen, you can't help but miss. You take someone like George Alberts, who was a fantastic character, you know, just a really decent guy. And again, I had an affinity with George that I could have a conversation with most days, fit or injured or what. I just used to talk to him. So you miss them, of course you do. But that's life, that's football. You know, that's, you know, they're... they're <laughs> You know, there's footballers are nomadic people. They have to travel where the work is, and if no one wants them anymore, they may as well move on. Right. And they've got to secure their income another way. So it's, of course, you miss them. I missed Ali McCoyce when he left, but eventually, you know, that's that, that's part of the game. Right. Right. So the next season, McLeish's first full mm -hmm. season, it was a treble winning season, mm -hmm. but it went down to the last day. That's right. On the on the league. What what. Like was that? I think again, if you, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. We went into the last game with Celtic on the same number of points, same number of goals, yep. same number of goals conceded, yep. same goal difference, and who was going to go that score the most goals? It was going to be a toss of a coin, and yep. if I remember rightly, they missed a, a penalty at Kilmarnock with five minutes to go, and, and Mikel Ateta, who now works at Manchester City, yep. where I w did work until recently, you know, scored for for yeah, for us, and so. Right. Uh, 
we, you know, and again, we were playing Dunfermline. I think we scored one nil. Yeah, but we scored one, and then they, they, they equalised. That's you know, so it. Pressure. You know, it wasn't. It was pressure. So the party that I, I think I, it's not. It's not breaking secrets to say we had a great party that night. I can remember lying in my garden in Newton Mounds at about seven o'clock in the morning with John Brown on one side and Stephen across on the other, all smoking cigars. <laughs> Thinking, this is as good as life gets as a bosom pot passes. Thinking, what are these three men doing? <laughs> Little did he know. <laughs> you had obviously started thinking about leaving Rangers. Mm-hmm. I had. I, I, at the time, I'd been approached by Middlesbrough in the Premier League because I knew, I didn't know Steve McLaren well, but I knew his assistant manager, a guy called Steve Round, very well. And they'd approached me about the possibility of coming and I'd discussed it with them. And I'd, I'd agreed to sort of go on out and have my notice in at the end of the season. But little did I know before, by the end of the season, you know, um, Alex was keen to move me on. So I'd seen the chief executive and come to a, an agreement about termination on my contract. Perfect. So it, and it, so it suited both parties. I mean, listen, your pride hurts a little bit when you get sacked. I mean, I've been sacked. That's not what about it. But I understand the reasons why they wanted to do it. I'd picked up a job on, on equally, if not in fact, with more money than what I was being paid. Uh, and actually, I don't think after being there for, you know, almost nine, nine seasons, it's maybe not a bad thing. I think a change can be good for both parties. So as I said, A, I don't hold any grudges to Alex in the slightest. You know, he's gone on and been very successful and I'd like to think my career hasn't been that bad either. Okay. Um, and leaving in a high must have been absolutely fantastic. Listen, it, was, it was a great high to leave on, winning another treble. Uh, with a different group of players uh, and there was a few players leaving at the end of that season too the likes of Arthur Newman were leaving and Arthur was someone I was close to from the point of view of he was a, a very good professional and, and, and fun to be around and yeah. I think you know one of the things we forget in life it's good to enjoy it and these people were fun Aye. you know you worked hard but you sort of enjoyed it too Aye. I remember uh, you inviting us to a game mm. <laughs> And they could possibly afterwards and we'd get everything signed, you know, mm. great time as mm. always. And he said, Right, guys, you ready mm. to ready to go? And we said, Yeah, 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 no problem. And I remember it was a, a, like an airlock mm. door system mm. so that people couldn't see in. And in the middle of the airlock, as we were going out, Arthur Newman mm. was coming in. And obviously me and Ali, oh, it's Arthur Newman, amazing, amazing. And you straight away grabbed his tie and yanked it and he had the tiny, I mean, it must have taken him hours to get that, that <laughs> out of his tie. And we were like, you can't do that, you can't do that. But he said, oh, no, we got on, exactly. got on great. And I changed his aftershave for salt and pepper, so I remember <laughs> you saying that as well. I think it's like you, you build up a rapport with these people and some of the sort of camaraderie stuff we do in football probably... You know, we verge on being a bit crazy at times. We spend a lot of time with each other. But I think what you do is you remember. I remember probably seven years ago, I went to Amsterdam with Sue, my partner, for a weekend. And I, I spoke to Arthur about being there. And him and Marion, his wife, met us for a meal and we had a night out. And so that tells you the sort of, you know, you don't do that with people you dislike. Yeah, you know, you know, You know, and, 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 and there are a part of the times you've got to, you know, release pressure. And sometimes, you know, we you know, players would play silly pranks on us and we do it on them. But it's... It's maybe a probably boy's humour, but it's it's never ill-intended. Right. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, when people look back over that period of time mm-hmm. at Rangers, there's loads of names get bandied mm-hmm. about, but me doing my research, and don't get me wrong, I didn't do a huge mm-hmm. amount of research, your name doesn't really come up. Do you do you get a bit sore about that, or do you not bother? Or? No, not bothered. Not bothered. <laughs> you, you, know, you know the answer to that. Yeah. Not bothered in the slightest. I think... I think it's nice to be in the background because it's about players. 
I think staff would try and over promote themselves. It shouldn't be about them. Why should it be about the physio? What's the physio? You know, I was there. I was involved, and you know, well, you're getting people back on absolutely. the pitch when they need to. So exactly. you're an an essential part of the, you're an the essential, team. You're a part of the team, but it's about players winning. Players winning, players lose. They take all the excuse my language shite when they lose. Aye. So therefore, they should take all the praise. And I, I've never been, as you know, a front foot person. And you know, if, as the physio, if you want to be in the TV, you can do. But it's never something that has. I look on these people sometimes as patients, and so to do that, you know, it's not about me; it's about them. But it 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 doesn't bother me because I know I was there. Right. It's the way I preferred it. Yeah. Mm. We're coming to the end of the time at Rangers, and mm. I thought we would do some uh, time at Rangers quick questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so just oh God. Kind, just kind of Help. off the cuff, right? Uh, best thing about working at Rangers. Best thing about working at Rangers was working for my I would, uh, my second favourite Scotland Scottish team because Kilmarnock are my first. <laughs> right, but okay. obviously, you know, the association of working for such a phenomenal organisation made you very proud. Okay. Uh, worst thing about working at Rangers. You could never escape from the job, so therefore, even when you're out with your so so called friends, and they were friends, but the certain friends you know very well, that I know very well, that all they'd want to do when you turn up for dinner would talk about Rangers, so yeah. you can't escape from it. Okay, um, biggest achievement at Rangers? Mine or the clubs? Yours. Mine. Probably rehabbing the likes of Alan McGregor and and and, and players of that nature from career-threatening injury, Stevie McLean, helping players achieve what they did. So it was through other people. Okay. Mm. Um, biggest regret? I don't have regrets in life. Okay. Uh, best friend? Best friend, Gordon Allison, uh, without shadow of doubt, who was... Him and I started working in the Glasgow Royal Infirmary years and years ago. He was at Rangers before me. I was his best man at his wedding seven years ago. Uh, he is someone I'm tremendously close to, and we shared working together. We had some times that shouldn't go on air, which means they were they were good fun. <laughs> but I would like to keep them off air. Uh, but thoroughly good person. Okay. Um, best first team player that you worked with, Paul Gasway. Okay. Worst first team player that you worked with. Oh, that's a good question. Stefan Gibbs. Okay, and uh, funnily enough, in the advocate years they talk about him. I think he's in Bordeaux with a f- yeah. on a farm or something. I know, now. I know. <laughs> um, and best place visited on work. Oh, that's a good question. Probably, I think my favourite tour was with Alex McLeish, or two actually. I'm going to have to go for two. That that one we went to New York, which was phenomenal. But also with Walter, we used to go to a place called Choco in the Italian. Uh, mountains in Tuscany which is unbelievable and they are phenomenal happy memory places perfect 2003-2004 first year at Middlesbrough League Cup winners Um, but what can you remember about your first day at Middlesbrough easy that's a really easy one Uh, first of all it was pre-season training so it was the day everyone was being fitness tested and so I'm a bit lost being introduced to every single person and you'll never remember everyone's name, you never do. And then suddenly this gigantic giant came through the treatment room door and said, my knee's a bit sore, can you have a look at it? And this was the late Ugo Ekeog. And cut a long story short, his knee, and it was swelling. And I'm thinking, how could it be swelling from just doing the bleep test? Uh, and then when I asked him a little bit further, he'd hurt the last day of the last game of the season and literally gone off on holiday, hadn't thought anything of it. And I looked at it and thought, this is not right, this is worrying. Cut a long story short, we then got an MRI scan 
I got him to see an orthopaedic specialist either that afternoon or I think the first thing the following morning and we recognised he'd torn his posterior crucial ligament. So welcome to first team football, granted a new <laughs> club. But in some respects it was a a weird one because if you think about it, one of the most senior players in the dressing room had picked up a significant injury. I'd recognised it, seen it, diagnosed it and got it sorted out within a day. It meant we had to go to America together to try and get it fixed. But again, when you talk about owning the right in a dressing room, it's the sort of thing that gives you respect. And it then, you know, I, 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 I over time developed a very close relationship with Ugo. And uh, Ugo was someone who was, you know, very dear in my life because we, we, we were, we just seemed to have a good rapport. Uh, we, we, we spoke to each other well long after he left Middlesbrough, regularly, almost every year. And as you're probably aware, he passed away last year. Yeah. And, you know, that was, it, 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 it's something I still find difficult to come to terms with because he was, a young person who, who was who was a very good person, and and, and someone I could talk to, and I, I loved his attitude to life and sport, and you know you, it started with that injury. But as I said to you, I can, you know, I I still struggle to find terms that he's not with us anymore because okay. we played Spurs last year when he was would have been the under twenty three coach, and I can remember looking at the bench thinking, why is he not there, and I still don't know why he's not there. Okay. Um, would you have had words about? Well, would he have asked you an advice when he was thinking about going to Rangers, or was that not he something did actually, that happened? No, he did actually, because he he did because um, I mean Ugo, as I said, you cut a long story short, he had this injury. It meant we went to America for an opinion about surgery, and we ended up spending two weeks together there. And so you get to know a person while well, you're eating with him every day, you're you're spending the whole time with him. So we built up a rapport, and he did. He spoke to me regularly after he left, you know, Middlesbrough. And then before he came to Rangers about the club and, you know, what he felt about the club and did I think he should, you know, what would I... And I, and I knew he would enjoy... One of the problems Ugo was struggling with is his own physicality. He was, he almost was breaking down with a lot of injuries, nothing to do with his own fault. Sometimes your bodies just start to deteriorate. But he was a phenomenally tough guy mentally and if he's ever remains fit, he was one of those... People often used to say awkward, cumbersome people, but as a result of it, could block anything. You'd get, we used to call him Inspector Gadget. He'd get any part of his body in the way of the ball, or you know. And uh, he, he spoke to me before he came to Rangers, and I think we'll all remember him for his overhead kick oh, against yeah, Parkhead. Absolutely. And the, and, the, and the nice thing is the shirts on my wall. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not in your bag. <laughs> so you go into the dressing room, and Alan Johnson's there. Yeah. Would you? Would you speak to him? Yes, Alan was a lovely lad. Alan was a very good professional. I knew him obviously from time at Rangers, yeah. and also he, he was injured when I went there too. Right, you okay. know. So and Alan was a good pro, uh, as there was. There's a lot of good pros at Middlesbrough. I mean, obviously Gareth Southgate was captain, and Gareth is the person you see on television now. Was no different to then. So there was a a good group of professional players. Yeah, um, it was the first time that Middlesbrough had ever won a domestic trophy. Yeah. yeah. Did they think you were some messiah Absolutely. that was coming in? Well, I, I, I tried to tell them that, but they wouldn't believe me. Uh, but, it, but again, you forget, you know, with no disrespect to Middlesbrough, they're a smaller club than Rangers. You know, you, you take Middlesbrough as a town of 140,000 people, big, you know, the population to bat above their weight in the Premier League to win things is phenomenal. You know, they're only a small town. Uh but, you know, so winning that, and I'll never forget the scenes at Cardiff travelling on the bus to and from the game. I mean, you could, I'd experienced a lot at Rangers, but first time for anything must be, and that, and it was phenomenal. Right. And I, I take it that um, 
it was. Did it feel bigger than? I, I, it it kind of felt bigger than a nine or a one. It, it would. It wouldn't feel any bigger, but it felt different. It felt very special because it was unique to so many people, from the chairman to the chief executive to the fans. It was. It was something that they, you know, Rangers had had success and expected it. So, yeah. and you knew the pressure, you know. So you climb the mountain the second time; it's not easier; it's harder. But I think this was the first time uh, you could see the relief and euphoria. And you know, you'd got some of the backroom staff been there for years, and it was, you know, I was fortunate. I'd won, can't remember how many trophies at my time at Rangers, but quite a lot, yeah. you know. And so to win something else was special. So, but it, it, it for them was the first. So it must have been very special. I take it that when you decided to go to Middlesbrough you didn't you didn't expect to win you didn't think do you know you hope you know you 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 never I've never once taken winning for granted but it wouldn't have been my primary aim to go anywhere for it would have been more for the right club or the right conditions but you know we we don't get involved to finish second right. Right. Um, how did you go on with Steve McLaren Steve was a very good coach he was very demanding he was a young manager uh, there are times he could have probably rung my neck and I could have rung his, but it was fine. I, I got on very well with him. Uh, he 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 wanted things his way. It was some, but I learned soon how to get the best out of him by me behaving differently. It was yeah. a good lesson in learning from my angle that don't treat everybody the same. Uh, but he was a very good coach, and I think a little bit berated by the English press for some yeah, of the yeah, things. Absolutely. He was a good coach, very good, co and still is a good coach. Yeah. Um, so. When you when you're at Rangers, Ibrox and mm. Celtic Park's two of the biggest mm. stadiums. Well, it's the two biggest mm. stadiums, and you don't really get much bigger than that. But when you go to Middlesbrough, you've got the likes of uh, Highbury mm. and Old Trafford yeah. and all the rest of it. Did you did you make a point of going to yeah. see these? You want stadiums? to? Listen, you have to because it's part of it, and I think it's you know the, the I think all stadium have their unique specialness mm -hmm. from. You know, if you go to Capel or, you know, Greenock, it looks a bit of a crap stadium. But I can remember going, that was the first place I've ever been to. So, you know, you you, you all have different memories for different stadium. And, and, and the Premier League now has phenomenal stadia. But you mentioned Highbury before. And Highbury, I, I can, my abiding memory of Highbury, I couldn't believe how small it was. And I mean that in the sense you forget as a child watching it on like Match of the Day or what was known then as Sports Night with Coleman on a Wednesday night well before your time. It was it it, it looked massive. Right. And yet when you go there it only held thirty eight thousand people. It was small. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, sort of two thirds of the side of Ibrox. Yes. If that and um you then you go to the place like Emirates or your Trafford to the Theatre of Dreams and you know, there it's a these are phenomenal stadiums, but what you've also got to remember you're going on to a pitch which is the same dimensions as the local park and you're playing 11 guys. If you start playing Man United, you've lost. Yeah. If you realise and you look Ronaldo in his face and you realise actually you've only got two legs, two arms like me, Aye. you've got a chance. Because without that, you've got no chance. Aye. What do you prefer just personally? Do you like the old kind of stadiums like Highbury and Ibrox or do you prefer the new kind of stadiums? I like think, the do you know, I like both. and I, I think we should never, tradition should never stop progress. So I think Ibrox has been modernised beautifully. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I Highbury was special. The Emirates is a beautiful new stadium, though. When you go yeah. to it, it's phenomenal. So I think you can have both, uh, and I think we should, you know, the 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 better facilities, better access for fans, etc. You know, people, you know, want a different type of entertainment today. Yeah. So we we must move because some of the old stadia need replaced. Yeah. I, I never made it to Highbury, but mm -hmm. I've been to the. 
the Emirates. I think, yeah, and I think one of the special things I can also remember in my first season, I can also remember going to Anfield and the Anfield time then the dressing rooms were pretty small but they have the sign as you go down that said welcome to Anfield yeah. now as usual you've got to put your paw in it yeah. and that felt quite special yeah because mm. yeah. I think uh, when we talked before you were uh, like as a child pretty much a Liverpool yeah, supporter well, I was I, I liked Liverpool I loved Kevin Keegan I liked Ray Clements as goalkeepers because I was a goalkeeper I followed them and so to go to places like that and to see what you've seen and then to actually be part of it is kind of it's a dream but I was living my dream to a point because you know I was never going to be good enough to play and I wasn't worried about that. But actually, I didn't feel in awe because I knew, not maybe being arrogant, but I was good enough in my own right to be there. But I never took it for granted. Aye. So when you move to a club, I probably should have asked this about two questions <laughs> ago, but when you move to a club, there's obviously a risk that you're not going to get on Absolutely. with the manager. And Absolutely. All the rest of it. Is there anything you can do before that to... Do you look at his record? Do you yeah. look at well, what I did is I, I, I met Steve McLaren twice before I met him and I just listened to him and then I asked him a lot of questions and you know a lot of you know young people who go for interviews today the first question they ask is what are you going to pay me? It's actually the last question I always ask because you can pay me what you like but if I'm not going to get on with you I'd rather you didn't pay me because right. I ain't going to get on very well you know so it was more about what he wanted how he wanted it how he thought medicine how he saw science how he saw the integration into the team and he satisfied me enough that I felt as if I could help him. Mm. Okay, um, so the next season, 2004-2005, mm. 7th in the league, mm. some achievement. Um, there were some big signings coming in, Jimmy Floyd, yeah. Hasselbank, yeah. Mark, Mark Viduka mm -hmm. coming in as well. Mm. Now, Mark Viduka had obviously been at Celtic mm. when you were at Rangers, mm -hmm. and it was a bit of a disaster to start with. Mm. Do you do you say anything about that or you talk to him about it? You don't. What? But I mean, do you, before the before the the club but, sign him, would but, you but, say, "Oh man, we used to have a great laugh"? When I, he was... I, I think what you do is you, you know you're asked your opinion about signings, but I'm not there to give my opinion on how well they play football. I'm looking at it more from a physical angle, their injuries, and if you think about it, he never really picked up any injuries at Celtic. He. He, he just didn't perform at first, but uh, that that doesn't mean he wouldn't you know perform at Middlesbrough, and he'd done well for Leeds, mm -hmm. you know. And you so is it just physical? No, no things that you're no, asked no. about. Uh, physical, mental. Uh, how would how would you think they would fit into the dressing room? Uh, you're asked a lot uh, by different, but ultimately managers make their own mind up. Uh, what you really want to be able to say is this player, if he stays clear from injuries, is likely to be able to perform. And so you're looking into that, but. You know, as you say, we were signing some big players then. Yeah. And did you have a bit of banter with them when they came in? Of course. Man, nine in a row, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have a lot of banter with them because footballers, they like banter. You know, again, and you get to know them. And Mark was a very proud, as I call it, Australian-Croatian. Right. You know, and had, and was phenomenally interested in Croatian history. He's a real, you know, Mark's one of those people who people need to get to know. You know, because he's quite a deep person, caring about his background and very cultural. You know, and so the sort of person you'd love to go out for dinner with, because he could talk and uh, an interesting person. Yeah. You know, ability-wise, he's probably one of the best players I've ever seen. Right. Okay. But uh, but naturally, I wouldn't say he's lazy, but he's just laid back. Right. Okay. You know, so probably wouldn't know where his team were in the league. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, because yeah. but that's just him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I say, you finished seventh that season. Yeah. I sometimes struggle, and I don't know whether this is because I've been brought up as a, a Rangers mm -hmm. fan, but I sometimes 
on the first day of the season you watch match of the day mm. I always watch the first one mm. really love it but I kind of think to myself what's the what, what's the thing that gets some of the teams going because they with the greatest of respect they know that they're not going to win the league so do you guys set yourself targets yeah. of saying yeah. you set yourself targets more than it might be the number of wins you want to get the number of points you expect to achieve and if you think about it you said it there if you think you take last season if you think about it I think Burnley finished 7th in the Premier League yeah. approximately and I think who? where did Chelsea finish was it 4th 5th can't remember. Um, I think it's fifth because they're in New yeah, Europa yeah. League. So, but they finished above Burnley, but who had the most successful season? Burnley. Yeah, yeah. So you have to set yourself realistic targets. And Middlesbrough, as you say, that season qualified for Europe for the first time. And that is a phenomenal achievement for a club again of that size. Yeah. You know, uh, through the league. And I, I, I think people, you know, you have to sometimes look at how much the squad costs together and how much they achieve and you know so you've got to set yourself internal targets and you know if the sum of the parts maximizes its its togetherness and you finish seventh well that's a phenomenal achievement is the attitude of the players different like for instance the players at rangers are like so successful and so mm. used to winning mm-hmm. if you put them in, in the middlesbrough dressing room mm. and they they couldn't win would it break those players. I don't think it would break those players, you just have to have a different mindset and I think what, what I sometimes noticed and I found it surprising at first when I was at Middlesbrough, one or two of the more fringe players often used to go to places like Old Trafford and Anfield and say we'll do well today to keep them down to three and I'd never seen that in my life at Rangers, everywhere we went we went to win Aye. but when I look back I can see, I can see why they said it but it, it was strange. Yeah, but do you think do you think that was do you think if they'd had the we're going to win here, do you think they would have done better? I don't know. I don't know is the honest answer because, you know, the, there is no doubt that there are more good teams in England than there are in Scotland just by the definition of the number of players they have. Uh, but I found that strange. But that, that attitude was never the case with Anugo Ekeog and Gareth Southgate, George Boateng, Mark Schwartz, okay. Jimmy Floyd. They, they, they went out to beat everyone and yeah. they expected to beat everyone. Yeah. So it was just a few of them, not them all. The majority yeah. wanted to win everything. Right. Um, so you get to the last 16 of the UEFA Cup that season mm-hmm. um, but when I was reading up it was saying that there was a, a bit of an injury crisis that mm-hmm. sort of four, that that meant that you couldn't progress yeah. further What? how do you get the balancing act between keeping players safe keeping players active mm. getting them back on the pitch and, and winning players how do you it's a difficult one it's a, it's, it's a very unique combination of all the facts you mentioned per player Per what are the important games? Some managers want to play players instantly when they're back. Some will actually be more calculated. Uh, you get natural spells where you can pick up a lot of injuries. No, you know, and it's amazing how everyone thinks when they get lots of injuries. What are you doing wrong medically? Well, I've never known a physio cause an injury in my life. It's usually caused by training. Right. By the way, the manager wants to do things, and you know, there's research out there that proves the best clubs who manage injuries are those who communicate well. So there's a communication between the process so and you do just get some that and, and and clubs like Middlesbrough you know when you're playing in the last 16 you're playing against better teams so you've got to have your best players available yeah, and if they're not you're likely to lose yeah mm. and and do you just kind of say well he's no he's no well, fit there's you know, nothing listen, you can do well it's not it? a, it's not a matter of being fit or not fit it's a matter of doing a risk assessment of he could play with that but these are the consequences and it's sometimes up to the player and the manager to decide 
are those consequences worth it? It might be the most important game ever, so he's going to play, right. and he might miss six, or he might miss one to play six. So what you do is you almost try and mitigate risk against what's about. So it's almost like a risk strategy. Right. And your job is to point that out to the manager and the player, and sometimes they make the decision and you're just part of it. Right. Just giving them the yeah. information Absolutely. in order for them to, to make the choice. Right, so 2005-2006, mm-hmm. UEFA Cup final yeah. season. That must have been. That was the one thing that Rangers didn't give you. Listen, it was a phenomenal... Phenomenal competition because particularly if the results, if you look at the way the results went and you know there's there's there's, there's well documented documentaries of us being the semi final being one nil down after the first leg and two nil two nil at home down so three nil down after forty minutes and yet we end up winning obviously what score did we win four five well four one so therefore we go through you know we go through and the the, the, the you know uh, phenomenal and 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 again as you say when the the stadium rocking packed. You know, I I feel, I feel disappointed we lost the final four nil, but we didn't really. We were actually one nil down with probably about ten minutes to go and pressed like mad and scored. Was conceded. You know, we we were beaten in the final by a better team. I hear to add, but to get to the final for a town of a hundred and twenty, hundred thirty thousand mm. people is phenomenal. Do you think it was just one game too far? Not one game too far. They were better. They were better. They were better. Simple as that. Again, you know, and sometimes you know you can, you know. I remember once at Ibrox under Dick we played. Uh, who did we play? Valencia in the Champions League at home, and I remember we were two 0 down at half time. And I remember the Rangers fans applauded you, uh, Valencia back onto the pitch because sometimes you, be- yeah. you know, some players play better than you. Yeah. And if you're a good footballing person, you can go and shake them by the hand and say, "Well done." Yeah. I don't like losing, but. Sometimes you get beaten. Yeah, I've heard some die-hard Rangers fans say that that Juventus team that yeah. won 4 oh, They applauded them and absolutely phenomenal, tremendous. Good football fans do. Aye. So when you when you're treating players, do you need to tailor how you treat them from where they come in the world? Absolutely, one hundred percent. First of all, medicine is different in Holland to England to Australia to South America. To Europe, and it's very important to get an understanding of what is their expectations, and it is very different, you know. And it, you know, I have a joke with some of the first team staff at Manchester City that if we treat a hamstring injury in Manchester, you know, it uh, it takes three weeks by doing it one way. If we send him to Argentina, it's completely different. But it takes twenty one days. What's the difference? <laughs> right, yeah, it's, it's just the way aye, you do it. Aye. But actually, it ends up being the same. Yeah. And so sometimes you've got to understand a player and if he's injured and if he's going to is it an opportunity for him maybe to go back and see his family for a week it's maybe not a bad thing because they don't get any breaks you know they don't get a holiday for 11 months of the year no I, I remember speaking to you when mm. you were saying yeah. oh that's it I'm off for a month exactly That's that was it um, so that season Yukubu signed mm-hmm. for seven and a half million that's right I think you got on with him quite well. He's a lovely lad, Yukubu. You met him, didn't you? you? No, no, I didn't meet him. I think it was Graham. That's right, it was Graham. That's right, Graham came down. That's right. And uh, no, Yak was a real, just a solid guy. And you know what I really admired about him more than anything? He used to get kicked all the time, sent forward, back, but he never used to complain. He used to come in with bruises all over his legs. No, just train. I train. I train. I train. Hey. And um, when I was reading up on him, it said that he didn't have boots until he was twelve. That's right. Lots would, of that. Like that. And would that would would you be able to tell that? Would that give him bigger desire? Or I think it's not. I think you have to. I've been fortunate enough to visit Africa and Ghana to look at some of the academies, and you'll often get players there who play with no boots for the reason they can't afford any. Hey. So again, does it create hunger? I don't know. But uh, he was a very very decent. 
very decent lad and fun lad to be around. Good sense of humour, but again, good because he just wanted to play. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and at this point, I think it might have been this season or next season, we had sort of come down and, and met up with you, and you were sort of saying the, the wage, this was the start of the wages starting to go okay. yeah. through the roof. Mm-hmm. How does that... How does that affect the players and how does that affect your relationship with the players? I think it, all it does affect the players is they've got more choices in life and what it does occasionally mean is if you take, when I was at Rangers, there was no player there in their time had their own physio. If I go to some of the top teams in the Premier League now, some players actually employ a full-time physio just to look after them. Right. You know, So not, rather than just having a nice car, you've got your own physio. You've even got, I know one or two of the players at Manchester City employ their own full-time chef just to cook for them. Now you might argue that's very decadent and very this but actually if that person's cooking the right food for them yep. is that that for them looking after themselves yeah you know so i think you can argue that both ways and how do you like if they employ their own physio i take mm-hmm. it they would have to go through the club to say look this is the guy i want to employ yeah exactly and and and, and you know you would there's two ways of looking at that you can take the huff and think hmm, that person snubbed me he wants to be treated by them that's one way the other way is you maybe invite that person into the club and they treat him beside you and invariably they don't get back any quicker. Right. It just means they might get a little bit more time given to them. Right. Um, that season, uh, Middlesbrough went from 7th to 14th. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was directly responsible for the UEFA Cup yeah. run? Yeah. yeah. We, when you're playing games a lot of times on a Thursday night and then having to play on a Sunday, it's, it's hard on the players in a small squad. Mm-hmm. You know, Middlesbrough didn't have the luxury of being able to rotate players, so it, I'm pretty certain. And do you think that... that is for most teams. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you think it's underestimated well, by the likes? Well, look at Burnley at the moment. They've not yeah. got. You know, I don't think they've got a point. Or got no, one point in the Premier League, and they've been in Europe. Yeah.